Um, do you ever wonder what the presence of God feels like? Not like a concept, but what it feels like. Um, in so many ways, it's, I just have felt his presence in profound ways this morning. And I don't know, maybe for some of you, it's like a, you, you've read the Bible a little bit, you've heard about Jesus, um, maybe you've been around the church for a while, but few and far between uh, have you like felt his presence. Before I preach, I just kind of want to enjoy his presence just for a minute, because you guys, um, moments like this are really precious in the life of a family. That's what we believe the church is. It's not an event, it's not a building, it's not a business. It's the family of God. We, we get to relate to him as father because of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And that means we get to be brothers and sisters. And he didn't just come and live in our place and die in our place and then bounce. Now he's with us. And we get to experience and enjoy his presence. Um, Christianity is way more than uh, acknowledging that things are true. It's about enjoying him. So yeah, I just like look at you right now and I just feel so grateful and so, I don't know, I'm aware of his reality and I'm aware of his presence in a, in a beautiful way. So thank you for letting me just take a moment because, man, it's been a long year. He's been very, very faithful to us. He's been very, very kind to us. And I just want to echo kind of what has been said already by multiple people. I'm so proud of our church, man. You guys are such an incredible group of people. Uh, the last 385 days has been like challenging and difficult and I don't know, man, just watching you guys be the church in very tangible ways has been such an encouragement to me. Um, and it's been so inspiring. I admire you guys. You are an incredible group of people. Um, and one of the things that I think that's come out of this last year or so is I think we've kind of turned the corner. Um, hey, Mark, will you do me a favor? Will you close those double doors? I'm literally being blinded by the light of heaven right now. It's <laughs> out of control. Uh, but one of the things that's kind of happened, I think we'd all agree, is like, like as a human race, I think we've kind of turned the page. I think we've entered into a, a new era. And what I mean by that is I don't think things will ever be the same. I think we kind of, I think for the first, you know, few months of um, the whole ordeal that was 2020, I think so many of us crave just kind of going back to what we call normal. And it's just not going to happen. We're going to have a new normal. And God's going to be present in it and there's going to be goodness and there's going to be grace and there's going to be glory and it's going to be beautiful. But going back to the way things were, I just don't see it, guys. I don't see it. I see us going, I see us moving forward into something new. So the question becomes then, where do we go from here? And specifically as a church, I see a lot of new faces, so glad you're here. Uh, we really do believe that the church is a family, but where do we go from here? That's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Now, uh, this July, a really cool major milestone in Ebony, my wife, and I's life. Uh, we will, this July, we will have been together longer in our lives than we have not been together. Okay? You can clap for that. That is amazing. Now, like, guys, you don't even understand. Like, we have been through such an amazing journey together. It's been, it's been crazy. Like, and along the way with this, I've had the privilege of witnessing this incredible woman's journey. Like, like I got to see her as like a teenager. 
and then becoming like a woman and then a wife and a mother and the ups and the downs of her life and our life together. And like, you are just, you're the most remarkable, amazing woman. So loving, so sacrificial. Like I've gotten to see like the ways that God has intervened in her life and strengthened her. I've got to see her faith blossom. I've got to see her spiritual gifts blossom in the ways that she tangibly cares for me and for our family and got to see her become a church planter. All these amazing things on this journey. Um, and as amazing as it's been, the first couple years of marriage were rough. Like they were hard. I think anybody who's been married, you know, like it's, it's a beautiful thing, but it's not an easy thing. It's a really challenging thing. The first couple years for, of marriage for us was really, really hard because we got to a point where we realized, at least it started kind of, uh, I think as individuals, where we realized like our marriage, like my life isn't really centered on Jesus, let alone our marriage centered on Jesus I remember asking myself a question a couple years in. It's really, really tough. Our marriage isn't centered on Jesus. Like, where do we go from here? That same kind of question that I think many of us find ourselves asking now, like, what are things going to look like moving forward? Nobody really knows. We don't have a crystal ball. We can't predict the circumstances. But where do we go from here? So I remember we began this kind of journey together as a couple where we began to ask ourselves, like, what would it look like if Jesus was the center of our marriage? Not like what we think we should do, not what culture says a husband should do or a wife should do or a man should do or a woman should do, but like, like legitimately, like what would it look like if our marriage was centered on Jesus, if we did it God's way? And I remember kind of in that moment, we hit the reset button. Fresh start, right? And I gotta be honest, like from that moment, I feel like God has redeemed so much like we've tasted and seen that he's good, not just conceptually, not just read about it in the scriptures, but like we've tasted and seen his redemptive power in our lives. It's been amazing. And so we always said, we're like, you know what, um, man, we're gonna, do, we're gonna do a 10-year vow renewal. Like as soon as we get to 10 years, we're gonna renew our vows. It's gonna be this amazing, beautiful time. And so we did that. It was, it was a really, really special time. And it was great. We got to like include our daughters Eb looked beautiful. I actually wore a suit that fits me uh, on my wedding day. I rented a tuxedo because that's what you did back then. And they gave me this tuxedo and the jacket, guys, was like two or three sizes too big. Um, just to show you where I was in my life, I didn't really get a haircut, so my hair was just, I looked awful. I had this glorious, beautiful bride and I'm like, <laughs> it was really bad. Uh, so I needless to say, vow renewal, I put on a suit that fit and we had this amazing time. We, you know, we gathered kind of our like just really, really close family and friends, handful of people, our daughters, and we renewed our vows. I remember we started the little ceremony with a dance. Instead of ending with a dance, we started with a dance. I just kind of grabbed her and we slow danced together before we renewed our vows. It was, this, it was a really beautiful time. But here's the thing with our vow renewal. Like our, our original marriage vows, they didn't expire we didn't, we didn't replace them. We renewed them, right? But I renewed my dedication to husbanding her, like a verb, husband. I just changed the English language like that. I, I, I renewed my, my, my devotion, my intentionality to husband her. That's what was taking place. Listen, we as a church, as a family, we've been through a, t- a tough first couple of years as a church plant. 
okay? Especially this last year with everything that it held for us. And each of us, I know so many of you in the room have faced some significant challenges. Uh, I just look around the room and see some of you teachers and I'm like, the things that you guys had to experience with like your own households, let alone trying to love on other households through all the challenges, so hard. I know people who literally lost their lives because of COVID. Like there's just so many things that we've been through. There's been significant challenges of the last year and I don't want to minimize that. Tonight or today is a very, very like celebratory day. It's awesome and it should be. But I also think it's important for us to acknowledge where we've come from so that we can fully give ourselves to where we're going. 2020 was hard. Let's just call it what it is. It was a year of suffering. I'm not saying there wasn't bright spots. I'm not saying there wasn't really, really special moments, but it was a year of suffering. And it's important to recognize suffering when it comes. And I believe that that suffering has impacted us as individuals and us as a church in some significant ways. And probably the way that jumps out to me the most is our discipleship. A disciple is, is, is somebody who's learning. That's what disciple means. It's someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every single area of life. So when I say discipleship, it's this process of us learning to enjoy him, obey him, and operate like him in every area of life. And I saw, pastorally, I could see how 2020 and all of its challenges and all of its, its difficulties, it really affected, it affected my discipleship. I know it affected our church's discipleship and so many other believers that I'm, that I'm connected to relationally. 2020 was tough. Our discipleship took a hit. So, in light of where we've been and in light of where we are right now, what we're doing as a church is we're hitting the reset button. We're hitting the reset button. So starting today, we're going to do, you guys can put the graphic over there if you want. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start a four-week series starting today called Reset. And I love the tagline. It says, renewing our devotion to Jesus and his ways. You could think of it kind of like a vow renewal. It's kind of like a vow renewal. Renewing our devotion to Jesus and his ways. What kind of church are we going to be moving forward? I think all of us know where we've been. I think all of us have a certain degree of kind of like getting a pulse of where we are today, but where are we going? What church are we going to be moving forward? What kind of disciples are we going to be moving forward? And, and, and to answer that question, we can look to our circumstances, which I think is terribly unwise. I think a lot of us did that a little bit in 2020. We looked at our circumstances and we're kind of like, uh, it's really, really hard, so I'm going to kind of shove this to the side. So we can look to our circumstances to kind of answer that question, what kind of disciples are we going to be? We can look to our imaginations, like what do we want to do? What sounds good to us? That's usually how Christian denominations get into a lot of trouble. Um, we can look to culture to answer the question, where do we go from here? What kind of disciples are we going to be? We can look to like Christian culture to answer that question. We can look to secular culture to answer that question. I'm not a fan of really either of those. Uh, we could look to what fits into our schedule like what's convenient, right? We could build our lives around doing what we want or, or we can be people who look to God's word. The incredible gift that it is. What kind of disciples are we gonna be moving forward? What kind of a church are we gonna be coming out of where we've been? We are gonna be a church who looks to the word of God for direction, for guidance, for truth. You with me? Great, grab your Bible. Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, 
We will have uh, words on the screen there for you. I'll be in the Christian Standard Bible. I typically preach out of that. So you can go ahead and flip there. Okay, awesome. Before we jump in, I'm going to pray for us, okay? So will you join me? Holy Spirit, we just want, we really do want you. We want more of your presence. More of your presence. We're asking you to speak to us through your word, God, to teach us. Lord, help me. I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish this morning. I really want to love and honor these precious men and women. They're precious to you. You love each and every one of us. You know us. So speak to us, Holy Spirit. Teach us. We need you and we look to you and we want you. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter two, famous passage, guys. Uh, This is probably the most beautiful piece of scripture describing what the early church, dare I say the first church, was like. Okay? Acts chapter two, chapter two, that's not in the Bible. Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42, says this. It says, they devoted themselves. If you have a pen, underline, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Every day, they devoted themselves, underline they devoted themselves, to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God, underline praising God, and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. All right. So to answer this question, what kind of church are we going to be moving forward? What kind of disciples are we going to be moving forward? I want to look back. I want to look back to the church that Jesus started. Okay? The church that we see here in Acts chapter 2. And specifically, I want to look at three things this morning. Okay? So if you're taking notes, you can write these down. I want to look at three things. I want to look at what the early church devoted themselves to. I want to look at who they were and I want to talk about what it means for us, okay? What the early church devoted themselves to, who they were, and what it means for us. Let's jump in. What the early church devoted themselves to. Um, That word devoted, think about it for a second. I think all of us kind of know what it means. So based on your current definition of what it means to be devoted to something, what are you devoted to? Take a pulse really, really quickly. What are you devoted to? I think every single one of us share a devotion that is breathing. I think we're all really devoted to breathing. Uh, Set that aside, set like water and things that we need to live. Like in addition to those things, like practically, what are you devoted to? See, devotion is connected to kind of what you prioritize, what you give yourself to. I think so oftentimes we as people, we'll, we'll, like, we'll have our priorities and there'll be priorities on paper and they're, they're kind of 
that they're, they're like our ideals and they're good, but they don't always, and, and I use that word intentionally, they don't always make itself, they don't always kind of move into practice. So they can be values on paper or they can be priorities on paper, but they don't always become priorities in practice. What do you give yourself to? If you're examining your life, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? What are the things that you prioritize? In reality, what are you devoted to? Like, I want you to think about this for you. If we just use time as an assessment of devotion for just a second, okay, that would mean that many people, they're devoted to their cell phone. (laughs) Many people devoted to social media. Others devoted to their job or their career, providing for their family, taking care of their children. We, uh, <laughs> we live in the era of Netflix and uh, the, the, the era of binging Netflix, right? Uh, raise your hand if you binge Netflix. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. <laughs> Paulo, I love you, dude. You're like, I, I do, yeah. Uh, but think about it, like binging Netflix. So, uh, so many of us are devoted to entertainment, sports. The list goes on and on and on. I just give you those examples. This is, there's no condemnation here, guys. You know what I'm devoted to? I'm devoted to my way a lot, okay? So this is not like a make you feel bad message. This is a, like, let's just take a pulse. Let's just see what I'm devoted to, okay? It's incredibly helpful to assess what am I truly devoted to? The church in Acts chapter two, it gives us a list of the things they were devoted to. I wanna go through these really, really quick, okay? It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Okay, that's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of who God is, namely Jesus, Father, Son, Spirit, Triune, yes. Who God is, what he's done in and through Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and what that means for us. It's really good news. It's fantastic news that God put on flesh, came to live a perfect life that you and I never could in our place, and then died the death that we deserve for the sins that we commit against others and the sins that we commit against him. It's really great news. It's, it's, it's this comprehensive reality of the love of God on display. The apostles' teaching, teaching people, not just the concepts of the gospel, but what it means for every single area of their life. There's implications of it. I don't, that's a whole other message. We, we, we want to be people who are just constantly speaking the gospel. But the good news that, of the kingdom of God that when God rules and reigns, when God gets his way in your life, it's really, really good for you. It's fantastic for you. That's the apostles' teaching, okay? They're teaching Christians about the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Okay, it, says that, it also says that, that, that um, they were devoted to the fellowship. You know what fellowship is? Besides being like a weird Christianese word? Fellowship is this, this idea of this intimate relationship with other believers, with other Christians. And when I say intimate, I don't mean romantic, I mean being known where what's really knowable about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And by the good, the bad, and the ugly, I mean the stuff that Jesus died to redeem. That's known where you deeply know others and they deeply know you. It's not just a superficial, like we really enjoy hanging out. Oh, that's awesome. We crack jokes, we make each other laugh. That's fun. If you're not cracking jokes in your relationships and having fun, there's something wrong. But it's deeper than that. You with me? I need you to talk back to me today. Yeah? Cool. Awesome. Fellowship. 
being known. It says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. This is this idea of eating together. Meals are super important. Typically, you're going to eat three of them a day, right? Eating together. This would have certainly, he, the, the writer is certainly implying the Lord's Supper here. Okay, we talk about the Lord's Supper, the communion, the Eucharist, depending on your, your tradition. It's, it, was this, it was this time where the people of God would gather together for a meal around the table. And what brought them to the meal was not like hobbies, shared, shared interests. It was not same ethnicity or race. It was not same gender. It was not same socioeconomic background. What brought this really diverse group of people together was the, what? The bread and the wine, right? The, the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. He's what brings those people together. That's the Lord's Supper, that's why we as a church, we, we, we celebrate and remember the Lord's Supper together as gospel communities midweek. Gospel community, I'll get into this in a second, but gospel community is not like an event, right? It's a people you belong to. You, you can go to the event that is the Lord's Supper. What brings us together is the body, of, uh, the body and the blood of Christ. But these, these people were devoted to this, okay? The, 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 the fourth thing that we see is prayer. It's this idea of engaging with God in, in every moment of your life. These four things, for whatever reason, typically when people break down this, this passage, they kind of stop there. The early church devoted themselves to these four things. Absolutely they did, and it's wonderful and it's beautiful, but we read it. They devoted themselves to a lot more stuff here. Did you catch it? Let's keep reading what they said. They, they mentioned, um, it says that everyone was filled with awe, this idea of awe, reverence to God, right? He's intervening in their lives, so they're in awe of him. They're experiencing him. Uh, there are signs and wonders, so there's miracles happening. Like God is miraculously intervening in their lives on the reg. Signs and wonders. It says they devoted themselves to, to radical generosity. Did you catch that? Radical generosity. It says they had all things in common and they sold their stuff to provide for each other's needs. Um, this, is, this is different than like <laughs> communism or communalism. Uh, D.A. Carson, he's a famous kind of Bible theologian. He talks about this. He says, uh, regarding this idea that their radical generosity was different than communalism or communism, he says, it wasn't, uh, it's not communalism or communism since this giving, remember, radical generosity, this giving is voluntary and since people still retain personal possessions like homes and property. A better analogy, he says, is that the church views itself as a family and healthy families take care of their own. So they were devoted to like radical familial generosity. Okay, what else does it say? It says they devoted themselves every day to meeting together in the temple. Uh, pretty much the closest thing we have to that is what we're doing right now. Okay, we're meeting together to offer God praise, to worship him, the ecclesia, the, the, the assembly together, to bless him. Every day. It says, it says they were devoted to eating together with joyful and sincere hearts. That means they were thankful for what they had, not upset about what they didn't have. It says they were devoted to praising God. It says they were devoted to enjoying the favor of the community. Um, when it says enjoying the favor of the community, it's talking about the acts of kindness taking place in the community. So they're just like, dude, there's so much kindness being thrown around. I'm just enjoying this. This is so great. And finally, it says they integrated new Christians into the fold. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. These are the things that the early disciples devoted themselves to. 
and hear me say this. I see so much of this in you guys. It's breathtaking. It's beautiful. I mean, you guys are so generous with each other, like radically generous. Like families living with other families when they need to for free. Like paying each other's bills sometimes. When, 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 my, when my family got COVID, I think we had dinner for like three weeks and I'm not the only one. You guys are very amazingly generous people. You remind me of this so much, man. The ways that many of you make the Lord's Supper gatherings midweek, you make those a priority. It's beautiful. Celebrating and remembering Jesus and enjoying the body that he's brought you into. Many of you, like genuinely experiencing fellowship, genuinely being known in community, like sharing the deepest parts of your life and your story and your experience and embracing other stories as well where both parties need the blood of Jesus. It's incredible. You guys remind me, I'm just so in awe of you. You guys are the most amazing group of people. It's beautiful. Please don't ever stop. (laughs) Keep on trucking, man. For some of you, if you honestly examine your life, like if you, if you really peel back the layers and you honestly examine your life, you have little in common with these early disciples. Because you're devoted to different things. Can I make a re- recommendation if that's you? Join us, man. Hit the reset button. God in his kindness and in his grace is consistently calling us, turn around from your way. Trust me, your way is not the good life. You think it is, you think you know better, follow me, follow me. And in order to do that, you have to turn, you have to hit the reset button, turn and follow Jesus. That happens a hundred million times a day for all of us. There's not a person in this room, especially me, that doesn't desperately need and rely on the grace of God. And in this kindness, he consistently gives us the option to hit the reset button and follow him again. So these disciples, they devoted themselves to Jesus, his ways, and each other. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing, I'm going to go faster here. Who were they? Who were these people? Okay, really quick, I want to recap just kind of, we just read in the middle of Acts chapter 2. I want to kind of back up a few verses what just happened. Okay, if you're familiar with the day of Pentecost, it's this incredible, monumental day in the life of the, of the family of God throughout history, okay? It's this day where there's this group of, the small group of Jesus followers, right? Jesus has already ascended to heaven. He's already life, death, resurrection, ascension. He's already uh, sitting at the, the right hand of the Father. He is, he is in heaven, and his, his, his handful of disciples, they're praying, right? He tells them to pray. Pray for the Spirit. And what's happening is they're in a city called Jerusalem, in that city, there's a big festival going on. So there's all these people from all over the known world that are coming to Jerusalem for this festival, all right? And then what happens is, is the spirit of God gets poured out on his people, okay? It's incredible. Stay with me. Spirit of God gets poured out on his people, and these people start speaking in different languages, 
Speaking in tongues. If, you heard, if you've heard of speaking in tongues, raise your hand, please. I want to get a pulse on where we're at with this if I need to break this down. Cool. Okay, you guys know. It's this idea of speaking in different languages. So they start speaking and praising God in all of these foreign languages. And the people who had traveled to Jerusalem for this festival hear these, 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 these people speaking in their native language and praising God. So what happens is this big crowd of people starts to amass. It gathers this big crowd of people. The apostle Peter stands up and go and just preaches Jesus. He explains what's happening, how it's a fulfillment of prophecy from Joel. And he, and he basically starts preaching Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the savior of the world. And then something profound happens. Let's read Acts chapter two, back to verse 37. It says this, when they heard this, Peter's preaching, right? When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. Underline for your children. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those, listen to this, so those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. Who were they? Who were who the people that were devoted to the things that we just read? These were, these were brand new baby Christians. They heard the gospel, the best news ever. They repented, they turned from their sin. Not a once and for all thing, a daily, hourly, minute by minute repenting from sin, turning from it. They heard the gospel, they repented from sin, they were baptized, and they devoted themselves. Um, are you anything like me? The older I get, I tend to forget my age more. Uh, and here's what I mean by this. Like someone will ask me, hey, how old you are? Or how old are you? And how old, how old you are? And I will, I'll have to pause for a moment and be like, I know I'm in my 30s. I don't know what the second digit in that is though. Uh, and I have to pause for a second. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take a moment. I do the math and then I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm 36. And I can tell them that's how old I am, okay? I think, does anybody relate with that where you kind of forget? Okay, cool, I'm not the only one. Great. <clears throat> All of us, whether we're like spot on, we know, the, we know like the, the hour to the hour of how old we are. Or whether you're like me and you forget, like all of us, we can do the math in the moment to figure out our biological age, right? You know what's really awkward? What's really awkward is when a person's level of maturity doesn't match their biological age. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you do. Some of you do. So here's an example. Like imagine if, if each time I got up here to preach, I like had my blankie with me and I was sucking my thumb. And I'm not doing it to be funny. I'm not doing it for like a sermon illustration. I'm not doing it. I'm just, that's what I do. That's 
Like for a toddler, that's fine. It's cute even, let's be real, okay? For a grown man, (laughs) case in point. You ever seen uh, a grown adult throw a temper tantrum? Like kicking and screaming even maybe? My kids, they used to do the head back thing. It was, yeah. How about this? You ever seen a grown adult still being nursed by their mom? I shouldn't have used that one. Sorry. (laughs) Reverse that one. Bad illustration. But you know where I'm going with this. That was a mistake. Please forgive me. Uh, I need Jesus too. Yeah, reset. Well played, dude. Well played. Listen, when a person's level of maturity doesn't match their biological age, it's awkward. At best, it's not the way it's supposed to be. At best. It can be really damaging. Listen, you know your biological age. I'm sure of it, okay? Do you know your spiritual age? Or, like, more importantly, does your level of spiritual maturity match your spiritual age? You want to know how you can tell? By what you're devoted to. Guys, we read about these early Christians and as infant baby Christians, look at what they were devoted to. Dude, some of us, we've been Christians for years, disciples for years, and we're still in diapers. According to Acts chapter two, this level of devotion to God and his ways, it happens at the infant stage. It's sort of like the equivalent of crawling. Hear me say this, okay? Spiritual maturity is not determined by how long a person has been a disciple. It's determined by what they're devoted to. So my friend, what are you devoted to? How old spiritually are you really? And listen, it's super important. It's super important to know where you are on the journey. Because listen, if you don't know where you are, isn't that the definition of being lost? So listen to me, if you find yourself in that place, I have fantastic news for you. I have the best news ever for you. Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is crazy about the lost. Jesus is like, he's stubbornly, passionately committed to the lost. Jesus loves the lost. It's the people who are certain that they're not lost that Jesus isn't so crazy about. So listen, hear me, friends, please, hear me. God created you. He made you. He fashioned, he's an artist. He fashioned you with his fingers, the psalmist says. Like, he made you. You're his workmanship. 
He created you. There's nobody like you. Nobody, there's never, I think we sing a song like this, but it can be used to you too. There's never been anybody like you. And there never will be. You're one of a kind. The maker made you. And he created you to be formed into the likeness of Jesus where you are fully devoted to God and his ways. That's the good life. The good life is living a life where you're fully devoted to God and his ways. And his kingdom then manifests. His kingdom is his rule and his reign, right? He's the king. It manifests in and through your life. That's the good life. Culture will tell you the good life is devoting yourselves to things other than God and his ways. And it lets everybody down. I think all of our biographies could read, devoted ourselves to things that weren't God and his ways and we got let down. And it hurt other people. And it jacked up our lives to one degree or another. It's all of us, man. Friends, God is a father. His desire is that his children would grow and they would develop into the fullness of who he created them to be. Not that they'd stay in spiritual diapers forever. But again, kindness, patience, loving, grace, mercy. Reset. Come on, come follow me. Let me show you the good life. The way I, the way I created you to operate. Friends, what's true for these early disciples is true for us. Spiritual maturity is not determined by how long a person has been a disciple. It's determined by what they're devoted to. And these brand new baby Christians, they were devoted to Jesus and his ways. And hear me say this, God used them to change the planet. Name another movement that's lasted as long as Christianity or has had, had a, 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 a beneficial an impact on society. I'm not saying that Christianity hasn't had negative impacts, but all those negative impacts have happened when people depart from God and his ways. He used those people to change the planet. Their simple, infant Christianity, devoted to God and devoted to his ways, and they changed the world. Mark my words, he's gonna do it again. He's gonna do it again because the world is in need. The world is really jacked up. You don't need me to tell you this, okay? The world is in need. Acts to Christianity is what the world needs. Believe it or not, Acts to Christianity is what you and I need. But you cannot have Acts to Christianity without Acts to devotion. Trying hard isn't gonna work. None of us have strong enough willpower for that. That's why we need a savior. So my final point, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? What were they devoted to? Who they were? And what does this mean for us? We're hitting the reset button. There's a church. The last year has been flipping crazy. It's been hard. It's been disorienting. It's been confusing. It's been challenging. It's been painful. We're hitting the reset button, a fresh start. We're renewing our devotion to Jesus and his ways, kind of like a vow renewal. I think it's really appropriate that multiple people got the picture E.J. Herrick of oh, like a wedding day today. I think it's beautiful. It's like a vow renewal. So here's what this means practically, okay? It means we're going to prioritize as a church, we're going to prioritize our discipleship strategies, okay? Those of you guys that are newer, we have two. <laughs> uh, we're, um, I love the Bride of Christ, and I'm so grateful for every single Bible-preaching, gospel-preaching church all around the world, and every single responsible church is trying to contextualize how to grow as disciples with where they are. So you'll see a bunch of different um, philosophies of ministry and all of them 
should be, and I believe most of them are, responsibly approaching this time, this place, these people, and what they need to grow as disciples. Does this make sense? So you'll see some churches that have 13 different things. That's not necessarily bad, okay? It can actually be really contextualized and really responsible and really beautiful. I want to share you, we have two. (laughs) We're very simple, okay? Two primary strategies to grow as disciples, okay? Discipleship is this idea of, again, we talked about learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every single area of life. How are we gonna do that? We have strategies to grow in that. You with me? Awesome, okay. Two primary strategies, gospel community and Sunday worship gatherings. That's it, okay? There are other supplemental things that we do, other supplemental strategies like DNA groups. Many of you guys are in those we do trainings from time to time, third Thursdays. Those are great, but they're supplemental, okay? Two primary discipleship strategies. Gospel community, the first one. We talked about it. It's, it's, it's not an event. It's not a small group Bible study. It's not something you go to. Gospel community, in the same way that the church is the family of God, a gospel community is a community of people centered on what? The gospel. Let me hear it. Yes, well done. what a gospel community is. It's an environment. Hear me say this. It's an environment where the things that these early church disciples that they devoted themselves to, it's the primary place where those things took place. Where the fellowship, the being known, it can happen. It can, it can, it can flourish in those environments. Where the Lord's Supper, where we gather around the table, a bunch of really different people. Let's be real really different people. How beautiful is that? Oh, God's really wise. The Lord's Supper gets prioritized where we remember and celebrate Jesus together. He's what brings us together, his, his body and his blood, where there's radical generosity that takes place. That's gonna happen in gospel community, where the integration of new believers into the community, not to the event, happens in gospel community. That's why we use the language like our church is not a church with gospel community, or gospel communities, it's a church of gospel communities. It's who we are. It's the, it's the primary organizing structure of our church. So gospel community, it provides opportunity to devote ourselves to most of what we see here in Acts chapter two, but not all. And that's why we have a second one. Sunday worship gatherings. Praise God, they're back in person, right? <clears throat> And this is where we come together to deliver him praise. Okay, I worked for Brandon and Jill as a pizza delivery guy in like my early college and I delivered people their food. We deliver God praise because he's worthy of it. He deserves it. He paid for it for the Christian with his blood. Sunday worship gatherings, praising God. Uh, Sunday worship gatherings serve the purpose of devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, right? The gospel, the good news of who God is, what he's done, the kingdom, his rule, his reign, that it's really good for us to do that. And hear me say this, you need that from a pastoral voice. You need it, so do I, okay? It's where all of our GCs come together, come and meet together, similar to how we saw the early church daily meeting in the temple, Sunday worship gathering. So we're we're hitting the reset button as a church. We're prioritizing these two discipleship strategies. Now listen, um, 
I'm almost done, guys, but I need to say this. We could lose this gathering space tomorrow. If 2020 has taught us anything, we cannot control pretty much anything. We could lose this gathering space tomorrow. What are we going to do? Are we still going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to praising God together, even if we can't all be in the same room? Or is Jesus' way of discipleship through God's word, ah, no, it's not convenient anymore. I'm not going to do that. It's a choice that we have. But no, we're going to be people who prioritize this. It's really important. It's God's way for your life. And you could say, like, you know, I don't like virtual. You know what? I don't either. I hated it. You know how crappy it was for Herrick and I to, to preach to you in front of a camera lens? It's my least favorite thing in the world. I just want to see your faces. I want to talk to you. You're my family. I'm not a newscaster. <laughs> like, sorry, I'll leave that alone. We're not going to be people who forsake the way of Jesus because virtual isn't our preference. If Heaven forbid we lose our gathering space. Okay, we're a family, so we're going to do it together and pray until God provides a better option. Listen, according to the New Testament, disciples need pastoral teaching in conjunction with the, the apostles' teaching. Okay? Hear me say this, and this is weird coming from me, but you need pastoral guidance in your life. You need pastoral input in your life. All of us have blind spots, and God in his grace provides one of the many spiritual gifts, which is a pastor to help shepherd. And listen, like, it can't just be the, like, tuning into the podcast of the gifted celebrity preacher. That's awesome. You should do that. There's really gifted Bible teachers that are way, way better than me and Herrick. Listen to them, okay? That's wonderful. But you need to have a relational connection to a pastor as well. You have to have this. A disciple needs to have a relational access to a pastor to, to shepherd them, to teach them, to help guide them. And I'm no different. I need it too. That's why our church has an eldership. And I don't mean like a board, like it's a corporation. I mean, I mean men that have, that have a call on God in their life to shepherd the flock. That's why, Herrick, that's why we're in eldership. He pastors me all the time. All the time. I have, in, in this season, I have a unique role as we're, as we're planting the church and getting things off the ground. Like, I operate, I have the privilege of providing leadership as the lead pastor. That's just captaincy. He's equally a pastor to me. So it's not like a hierarchy, like, a, like, a, like an org chart is at a corporation. We're a family. I need it too. So don't hear me say, like, you guys need to listen to me. It's <laughs> not what's happening here. If circumstances change, we lose this space does that mean we're no longer going to prioritize worshiping Jesus together? No. If we're devoted to it, nothing would stop us, right? One more thing. I'm going really long. Sorry, guys. One more thing. Um, we're going to do a campaign together. 90 days through the New Testament. We're going to read the New Testament throughout the course of 90 days. We'll pause on Sundays because we'll be here. But Monday through Saturday, we're going to read the New Testament together. We're starting about a month. We'll have, I'm going to do a whole message on that campaign in a couple weeks, a few weeks. But here's what it's going to look like, basically. It's going to take, get this. It's going to take 15 minutes of reading a day. 15 whole minutes of reading God's word a day. 
That's like half the average Instagram session. (laughs) Sorry, I'm being cheeky. I'm sorry. Uh, 15 minutes of reading a day, 15 minutes of prayer. and, And trust me, this will be one of the most beneficial things. If you give yourself to this, it will be one of the most beneficial things you do all year. And chances are, many of you won't stop. And that's kind of the goal, okay? <clears throat> it's going to help us reset, right? Fresh start, building a habit of, of digesting and feasting on God's word each day. Some of us have been disciples for a long time, and maybe you haven't even read through the entire New Testament. Remember, spiritual maturity is not, not determined by how long you've been a disciple. Okay. Um, finally, for some of you guys, it's time to get baptized, man. It's time to be baptized. All right, it's time to go public with your discipleship to Jesus, with your devotion to Jesus. We read about it. Look back at verse 38 in Acts chapter 2. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the greatest gift ever, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 41, it says, so those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them, and then they devoted themselves. Next week, Easter. I cannot think of a better time to get baptized than Easter, okay? I think they have signups ready for you on the app. You can come talk to Herrick or me or anybody on the staff. We'd love to see you be baptized next Sunday. Uh, Really quickly, my eldest daughter, Amelia, she's been talking about, we've been talking with her. She's 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 brought it up for about a year, a little over a year now. She's nine and she's ready. It's beautiful. I'm going to baptize my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter, next Sunday at Easter. I'm really excited about it. Okay, I'll close with this. Band, come on up. You guys doing okay? You with me still? Yeah? Some of you. Some of you are like, I've just, it was so hard to not be wearing PJs this morning. Like, I, I'm having a hard time. Just like drinking out of a fire hose. Sunday nap will be great. All right, so these early, these early disciples, right? These early Christians, they were devoted to what? They were devoted to Jesus, they were devoted to his ways, and they were devoted to each other. Here's my question. Why? Why? Just because they're supposed to do that? Because they were told to do it? Why did they actually devote themselves? Like, listen, it was dangerous for these people, Like, it was dangerous. I think all of us complained when, like, we couldn't gather and there was restrictions on churches and stuff and we're crying persecution. It's, you could argue it's a form of persecution, yeah. But their reality was, like, so different. It was was dangerous for them. It certainly wasn't convenient for them. Like, nowhere, it was nowhere near as convenient for them as it was for us, as it is for us. Like, virtual gatherings, they suck, man. (laughs) hear, hear, amen to that, okay? You know what these early disciples would have done? They would have been like, wait a second. You can gather virtually, safely? And you don't do it? Like, we could die. But you don't prefer YouTube? They'd be so confused. The early disciples were devoted. Why?
perks of being a pastor is that I get to perform a lot of weddings. I thoroughly enjoy performing weddings. There are few days more celebratory in a person's life. I love it. It's awesome. And one of the things about weddings is they're all kind of different. You know, they maybe are a different location or whatever, you know? They're not exactly the same, but there are similarities to every single wedding. The bride always wears white. She always looks way better than the groom. But you know what else is always a similarity at every single wedding I've ever performed? The groom goes first. The groom shares his vows first. The groom shares his devotion first, and the bride follows. Church tradition says that this upcoming week, we're about to get into it, is Passion Week. They refer to it as Passion Week. It's the, it's the last week of Jesus' life, right? It's where we remember that last week of Jesus' life as the church globally, where Jesus' passion was on display, right? Where he was betrayed, where he was horrifically beaten, where he was crucified. Because Jesus is devoted to his bride, to his church. Why did the early church in Acts 2 devote themselves to Jesus and his ways? Because the groom shares his devotion first, and the bride follows. The bride of Christ is no different, friends. These people, they saw the passionate devotion of Jesus for them, and they responded to it by devoting themselves to him in return. Because the groom shares his devotion first, and the bride follows. Listen to me. The only way that any of us will devote ourselves to Jesus and his ways is if we see his devotion to us first. Your willpower will not do it. Friends, the entire message of Christianity is that God is devoted to you. It's wild. The creator of the heavens and the earth. The God who speaks things into existence. The God who can create life. The God who can create humans. It's way better than like Legos, man. The God who created you. He's devoted to you. He's made, a, he's made covenant vows that will never be broken. And he's proven his devotion with his blood. Friend, can we just pause for a second? I'm just soaking it. I'm not going long, but I don't care. Like, I just want you to hear me. I want you to look at me. Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know? Do you know how much he loves you? 
you know how devoted he is to you? Listen, when you see Jesus' devotion to you, you cannot help. You cannot help but devote yourself to him in return. Because the groom shares his devotion first and the bride always follows. Will you stand if you're able and want to pray? Jesus, there's nobody like you. Our hearts confess there's nobody like you. There's nobody like you, Jesus. There's nobody like you, Jesus. There's nobody like you, Jesus. No greater love than a man who lays down his life. Holy Spirit, would you capture us? (laughs) Would you just totally capture us with the reality of your devotion so that our our devotion can truly follow? We don't want to be people who live lives of misplaced devotion. Tragic. As we move forward as your bride, Jesus, teach us, Holy Spirit, enjoy the unparalleled privileges of being your girl, your grace, your mercy, your love, your faithfulness, your friendship, your kindness, your provision. We are walking, talking, living, breathing examples of your grace. We deserve none of it, but you lavish it on us. Let us be a church who is devoted to you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen.